Hello, and welcome to Podspace 9, which, if you're hearing this, this means that the both the Writers and Actors Guild strikes are over, and that we now feel comfortable and happy releasing out Podspace 9 of the universe. We have been sitting on these episodes for so long, so long, and we are glad that you are finally able to start it. Let's go. And welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be your away team commander. Joining me is my science officer, Anna, with our new recruit, Jude. Jude, Anna, new podcast smell. How you feel? I, I am excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this. We have made a few jokes about not being a Star Trek podcast in the past. Uh, <laughs> and yet, and yet, and yet here, here we are. are. Well, yeah. Despite having actually already covered one season of a Star Trek show. Uh, but it, it yeah. is particularly uh, hilarious to me uh, after having started as a Babylon 5 podcast to now find ourselves doing Deep Space Nine. Uh, <laughs> there is something very ironic and humorous uh, about that to me. But I am excited about it. It seems fitting, though. It you does know? seem full circle, apropos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like returning to '90s sci-fi is like it's it's a return to form. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask before we dive in, what is each of yours like history with Deep Space Nine? Okay, I, I'm, I'll go first for this. Yeah, go for um, it. So my dad is a Star Trek. My dad, my dad is like my infection vector. When my parents separated when I was a teenager, um, we bounced back and I like I bounced back and forth between weeks. And my dad, uh, like on the 
on like the days or weeks he'd have us, um, would order Netflix DVDs of stuff for us because it was like that was our thing. Um, for those of for those of you children who don't know what that <laughs> is, Netflix used to be a service where you could order DVDs of like anything, and you get it, and you could get three of them at a time, and that was great. Um, and, and like truly anything too, yeah, like, other than like straight up porn. Yeah, it, it was like, like, yeah, that was like, you know, that was the way that people could, like, that was the way you could, like, watch HBO series without mm-hmm. HBO. Yeah, and they had, some, they had some, like, really, really obscure, um, like, BBC shit, too. I would have probably been in eighth grade. Like, we did, I, the first series we watched was the original Battlestar Galactica, of all things. <laughs> I don't know why we chose that, but it was like, it was fun. And he's like, and he's like, and then he introduced us to the next generation. He, like, the way he describes it is like, I watched the first little bit of D, he watched the first little bit of D Space Time, but fell off because he's like, I became a, you know, it's like, I became, I, I was, you know, full time parenting. And, you know, just like, and it became more of like, okay, what could I watch? And there wasn't enough time for like dedicated Star Trek watching, mm. especially with two shows on the, on the air. Yeah. Cause DS nine is an interesting ser- series because it is the only Star Trek series to, to run concurrently with another Star Trek series throughout its entire run. Yeah. Oh, it overlapped TNG and Voyager. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the first two seasons overlap with season six and seven of TNG and the, fu- and seasons three through seven la- overlap with the first five seasons of Voyager. That's Buck wild. Yeah. And it's wild. They would go against each other in time slots. Why? <laughs> what? what? Because. What absolute <laughs> goddamn gork decided to do that? Uh, well, the answer is the it was the arrival of UPN. Basically, the way that it would be like distributed is like is like DS9 was like was partitioned out to like local stations. But then like. UPN arose during the 90s and Voyager was on UPN and so it just it played all over that so oh. yeah it's it's a weird thing and yeah it's weird like I, I'll we're gonna talk a little uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about how the the, the production history of DS9 here and how it cool. became because it's fascinating but yeah that's my story of like how it was but yeah no I mean we sort of like ended up watching it for the first time together and I I would say that D Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek series. Like that that's I think that there are like fringe cases for like I can make for like I like certain other parts of certain shows more. But as a holistic experience, I think that DS9 is not just my favorite Star Trek series, but like one of my like foundational media that informs what I that like informed what I enjoy in in like storytelling cool yeah uh and for me i i did watch it like live when it was originally airing which what was what were the I was years just on just because pulling that up so yeah. um 1993 is when it came on the air okay so so i would have been like watching it from the age of like five on then but yeah i like you know along with TNG and Voyager, we watched it live or as live as you can get when you're, you know, getting bootleg VHSs off of a neighbor who actually has cable. 
Um, and by which I mean a neighbor for whom the cable company is willing to extend the cable to yeah. their house um, because that w- they were not willing to extend that to us. It didn't hook me at that age the way that like TNG and Voyager did. But on rewatching like in high school and many, many, many times past that, like I would I would agree with Justin that it's probably my my favorite track as a entire you know piece of media of you know seven seasons of media interesting i was older than you when i watched it it came out i was like 13 12 13 when it came out and i was like a big old tng nerd but i never i think i was just diving into fencing full time and i mm-hmm. I, I must have just because i was trying to remember why i never got into it because mm-hmm. I, rem- I i loved mm-hmm. TNG like I remember sitting watching TNG like building tricorders out of Legos and shit uh, but now that I I was thinking about it and I think it must have been fencing because that was about the age when my free time vanished and started being about fencing full time and so if I wasn't mm-hmm. at the sal I was home exhausted with no brain power because of because of fencing and I think I must have like yeah just kind of worn myself out and not had the, the mental capacity to, to stay connected to it. Um, Cause I remember, yeah. I know we watched it. I, I have like, and as we'll see as this, as this uh, reviewing goes on, there's episodes here and there that I remember. There's little bits of information. I remember, like I was telling Justin on the other day, I, I know that somewhere in this show, Worf appears. But I could not honestly tell you if it's in three episodes <laughs> or three seasons. I have no idea where that happens. Um, and similar yeah. stuff. Like, I, I know vague stuff about DS9, but I don't have any idea about, like, I couldn't name an episode. Yeah. Mm. At least as a kid, it wasn't as accessible to me as, like, TNG and Voyager yeah. were. With, because, like, with the long, you know, with the with the running plot lines. Mm. You know, I I hooked on to the like monster of the week trek much yeah. more at that age, but then like as I started to, you know, no longer be five years old, yeah, <laughs> and gain an appreciative for long form storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I was thinking about this like while I was just like uh, while I was doing stuff this week, and I I was trying to think of like what other media I had consumed that had like long form storytelling like this you know, as a kid. And the only other thing that I could think of that was having like long arcs and stuff was anime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, just because it was like, it was at that, like, you know, this is like, you know, as a child who grew up in the nineties, like, you know, my, my primary adult media growing up was a law and order. So, um, (laughs) and and like, I, I, I was a very morbid child, folks in something that is probably i was just gonna say i'm suddenly thinking about all the games that we've played and i'm like oh that makes sense law and order as a child delta green there i can see the line connecting Uh, those two things i had a preoccupation with like uh, both uh fighter planes and corpses as a child so (laughs) it was uh it was the pbs um like mystery series for me, yeah, yeah. the one with the the one with the like uh, Edward Gorey intro. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that like religiously. I have a, the earliest also the narrative storyline I can remember following on TV was probably the uh, the Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers, which is a surprisingly good cartoon from the late 80s, early 90s, somewhere in there, that actually is very anime-inspired and has a, like, narrative storyline uh, through it and also has a character that is so transparently modeled on Clint Eastwood's character from the man with no name that, like, it probably would have gotten sued in this day and age. Anyway, <laughs> um, but we're not talking about cartoons. We're talking about Deep Space Nine. So let's... Uh... Yeah, um, I'm to set the scene... Over how this series, like to, to to just give a little bit of context for what the scene was. Um, so DS Nine, uh, for folks who might not know, uh, is the first Star Trek series that was developed without Gene Roddenberry. It was like there was a pitch for there, there was a pitch that came out in 1991 where one of the producers was like, "We want to do another Star Trek series because Next Generation is so popular," but they wanted to have a different format and st- and to. Use it because only Westerns existed in people's minds, apparently, in Hollywood for like 40 (laughs) years. Um, The thing was, was that Star Trek was originally inspired by a series called Wagon Train, where, you know, you'd go to, or as a group of traveling people that would go to new locations, solve a problem every week. The alternative that this show was proposed as was a series called The Rifleman, which was about a widower moving to a new town and becoming a lawman. So it was originally going to be set on a planet, but they scrapped that once they um, once they realized that was going to be way too much location shooting and instead made the largest indoor set in television history. Hmm. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we don't want to do too much location, but we will make the largest single set, you know, like indoor set in television. Uh, the because the promenade was like stressed straight up a set, right? Yeah, it was one set, basically. Yeah. Like they had some stuff you could move around, but it was like that whole thing was That's one dope. set. You would just like they would just film in quarks. Yeah. That's how, that's actually super cool to know. Oh yeah, it's it's wild. Like they like the production design for the show is great because it's I mean, we'll we'll get there, but DS9 does not look like anything else in Star Trek, which is really yeah. cool because it's decidedly not Federation. except for the uh star trek experience in las vegas which was <laughs> looked a lot like quarks i would know i went to it several times in my early 20s the other thing that was interesting about the development is that they wanted to have a much more internal like they wanted to have much more interpersonal conflicts which, if you know anything about how Star Trek was run under Eugene Roddenberry, was a no-no. Um, because humans were supposed to be evolved. They would surpass personal conflicts. It's why nobody ever has a problem with anybody else in the Enterprise. Which is, you which know... Is, it's, which is funny, because there's so many episodes that I would file into the category of interpersonal problems on the Enterprise. It's never... Nobody ever holds a grudge. Yeah, yeah. Which is... Much different here. Um, <laughs> the way they got around it was that they was the introduction of a lot of non-Federation characters, which there's a ton of them in this yeah. series. But yeah, that's our that's our context. We we are never going to discuss, you know, J. Michael Straczynski uh, and the relation <laughs> to this because, frankly, we don't care about it. I feel like we covered that <laughs> very thoroughly from, in our Babylon 5 episodes. 
Yeah, no matter what the history was, we got two two good TV shows yeah. out of yeah. it. Yeah, and and from from the production staff of DS Nine, they were like, "Yeah, no, we we had a lot of fun. Um, we never really knew anything about DS Nine or about Babylon Five. Yeah, where would we be without JMS's pissy uh, internet posts about DS Nine? Right? Oh, uh, <laughs> poor people." Poor people. That's what we'd be. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the, speaking of JMS, the other th- good, cool thing about going back to 90s sci-fi is that compared to like Person of Interest, what this year's Battle of Life is that everybody about everybody about DS9 wants to talk about DS9. So there is a ton of information yeah. about it. Let's talk about behind the scenes and stuff. Cool. But yes, take us away for our pilot episode. I'm going to go make some <laughs> coffee. Fair warning. <laughs> I was given both parts of the pilot episode. So this is a even by my standards, a little bit of a lengthy summary. Uh, this is episodes one and two. According to the list I got, apparently that's not a consistent enumeration. Whatever. Uh, no, because um, syndication. Because it was originally filmed, it was originally like released as a two-hour pilot, and that's how it will, like, that's how it shows up in like DVDs and stuff. But in reruns, you would put it as two to episodes. To get to 100 faster. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It was the story was written by Rick Berman and Michael Pillar, teleplay by Michael Pillar, directed by David Carson. Okay, here we go. Uh, we begin with a TNG flashback showing the Battle of Wolf three five nine, with Locutus's Borg cube beating the almighty shit out of a bunch of Federation ships, including one with our protagonist, Commander Benjamin Sisko who uh, flees the bridge as his ship is taking a royal goddamn beating to go find his family. They, uh, why they sent ships with families on them into the Battle of Wolf 359 is something I'm sure we will talk about uh, in, in the, at the end of this episode, uh, in, the, in the, the speaking section. But um, dubious choice, because the, the Federation is getting its ass absolutely handed to it here. Um, I don't remember watching TNG. Rem- I don't recall the the Federation being as viscerally bitch slapped as it is in this flashback. I would I would actually suggest that you watch Best of Both Worlds Part Two, which is the season four opener, because like it's a scene that stick, sticks with me where you see the you don't see the battle, you see what's left over, and it's like yeah. literally dozens of wrecks. All right. And it is it's, like it's a ship graveyard. It's something like forty-five ships lost. Christ! All right. Um, like if this, like to put it on my most common cultural stuff, this is like the 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 board cube showing up is when you hear Brock Lesnar's theme in you know, like a <laughs> WWE match of just like oh shit, people are dying. So he finds his family. Uh, his quarters are on fire, and his wife Jennifer is already dead, but his son Jake is alive. His son is taken away and he is dragged from his burning quarters uh, by another crewman and they make it to the escape pods to watch his ship explode. We flash forward three years as Cisco is about to take command of Deep Space Nine, an until very recently Cardassian space station in orbit of Bajor, a world that they had similarly very recently occupied. The Enterprise is docked with the station already, having brought some staff in, including Miles O'Brien, formerly of the Enterprise, who gives them a tour of the station and exp- explains how the residents suffered as the Cardassians left. 
On said tour, we learn that he's been given a Bajoran liaison officer, Major Kieran Norris, and he's still expecting science and medical officer soon. He's also told Captain Picard wants to talk to him, which he responds to with notable chilliness. On the bridge, or what are they called? Hold on, hold on. Point of point of order. It is ops. Yes, I was about to say. Yes. It's not the bridge. On ops, uh, or in ops, Cisco meets Major Kira, who is using his office to bust someone's balls. She is incredibly salty, but Cisco handles her with a really interesting mix of amusement and respect. Uh, he doesn't take her barely banked fury personally, but he also doesn't let her mistake him as an easy target. Uh, their argument about the Federation's role in Bajor's new independence is interrupted by an alarm that Kira and her security chief Odo respond to with Cisco in tow. Odo, who is some kind of slime person, stops the br- wet fascist. <laughs> He's a wet fascist. That's what he okay. is. Uh, Odo, who is some kind of wet fascist, stops the break-in that sets off the alarm. One of the people involved in the theft that set off the alarm is Nog, a young Ferengi and cousin to the local bartender and gambling den, o- den owner Quark. Cisco finally heads to the Enterprise to chat with Picard and literally wastes zero words before slamming his trauma in Picard's face. I mean, I, I mean this literally. It's like... Hello. He doesn't even say hello. His f- the first words out of his mouth are essentially, fuck you. The last time I saw you, you killed my wife. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's right the out of the gate. He is jamming his trauma right up in Picard's face, just rubbing bald head to bald head here. Having taken a turd on Picard's day, they move on to discussing the plight of the Bajorans and the way the Cardassians strip-mined the planet's resources. Back on the station, Sisko offers Quark a deal. In trade for Nog's release, Quark has to stay on the station. He's trying to keep the, station, the station's population from max ex, mass exodus as the service people depend on the promenade, and he wants Quark to be a community leader and anchor sort of the promenade services. Sisko then finds Kira clearing rubble on the promenade, and they begin to discuss Bajoran religion, specifically her belief that the only one who can save Bajor from civil war is the voice of the Kai. To Kira's surprise, as they talk, a Bajoran priest approaches Sisko and tells him it is time. Down on the planet, Sisko is taken to see this Kai, who fondles his ear. Is ear stuff a fetish? If so, have I got a show for you. Anna and I are, like, having the most knowing look right now. (laughs) Is is the show that you have in mind Deep Space Nine? Because, oh, buddy, just wait. Oh, good. Um, She talks about his pa, his spiritual energy, and tells him he is to be the emissary. She takes him to see the Tear of the Prophet, a glowing green chalice thingy, which is not tear-shaped, and is not an orb, but will be repeatedly described as an orb, which I will complain about incessantly, both in this summary, this episode, and I expect throughout this series. Uh, when the vision ends, oh, yeah. uh, Kai Opaka says that it is one of nine, the other eight having been boosted by the Cardassians and now presumably being used as paperweights, uh, that have been sent by so funny thing. the prophets. There are ten. There are ten? They, um, they're like it's fun. There, there's one of the there. They they reveal a secret new one in a comic that I'm reading right. Cool. Now. 
that have been sent by the prophets over the last 10,000 years, and he has to find the celestial temple. This sounds like a D&D plot to me. It really, it's, yeah. um, it's very yeah. hero's yeah. journey. Uh, she gives him the, and I cannot emphasize how big my air quotes are here, orb sends him packing and tells him it's his <laughs> destiny. Uh, that evening, Cisco is called to the promenade to find Quark's bar hopping. Drinks are flowing, Dabo is Daboing, and the residents are enjoying themselves. Yes, I googled to find the name of the gambling game they were playing. Good for Dabo. you. I'm proud. The next day, the Enterprise Dabo. departs, and the aforementioned science and medical officers arrive. Cisco sends the doctor, a baby-faced young man named Bashir, off with Kira to put his foot in his mouth. The science officer is someone Cisco is, in a way, very familiar with. It's a trill named Jadzia Dax. The trill are a joint species, a slug that passes from host to host, as we will see in an orb flashback. Cisco knew Dax in the previous incarnation, Curzon. Cisco puts Dax to work on the orb, while Bashir puts said shoe, foot, and an entire leg into his mouth, referring to Bajor as the wilderness to Kira. After the Enterprise leaves, a Cardassian ship conveniently arrives carrying the former prefect of Bajor, Guldacott. I know enough about this show to know that Guldacott's a big old dick that we're going to see a bunch. He comes aboard to visit and waxes nostalgic about the station and makes some less than thinly veiled threats. Dax's study of the orb bears some fruit in the form of the Denorius belt, where many of the orbs have been found and at least one former Kai, which I take to mean some kind of space pope, claimed to have had religious revelations. In addition, it's got a lot of weird technobabble features that make it interesting to her. They need, however, to get past the Cardassians without being noticed in order to investigate it and come up with the most goddamn convoluted plan I've ever fucking heard. It rules. Which involves rules. letting the Cardassians onto the station to gamble, letting them win, shutting down Quark's, and then having Odo, who apparently is not just a wet fascist slime person, but also a shapeshifter, take the form of a bag. They stuff him full of gold. Not gold. It's something else, but it looks like gold bars. It's gold pressed latinum. I don't know what that means. The, the, the valuable, valuable latinum is pressed into the worthless gold. That's dumb. We'll get, we'll come back to that. <laughs> So then they take I this so this Odo bag, this this slime bag, onto their ship, bragging about their winnings, <laughs> which I and chuck I it like into a closet. I like to know that the bag looks like a perfectly normal no, bag. Yeah, it's a burlap. It's a burlap bag. bag. Take it back onto their ship and chuck it into a closet, and then this bag turns into the worst CGI slime person, and it turns back into Odo. Uh, and then he ninety three, baby. And then he goes up to the. Uh, it isn't, like, charming bad either. It just looks goofy. Uh, and then he does something on the ship to fuck up their sensors, uh, and then they beam him back, uh, which involves uh, which involves Miles O'Brien doing a little percussive maintenance on the Cardassian transporters, <laughs> kicking the, the console in order to get it to go through. Um, I already love Miles O'Brien, by the way. Just going to throw is, it out there. Yes. He is real close Good. to my heart already. So while this fucking nonsense is going down <laughs> Dax and Cisco take a runabout uh, into the belt and stumble into a wormhole sure uh, which barfs them out in the gamma quadrant 
They flip a U and go back in, but this time they get grabbed by something and land somewhere. Uh, Cisco sees some shitty apocalypse canyon, uh, but Dax sees a nice, like, leafy glade. It's never explained why she sees something different. It's presumably for a reason, but it's never given any particular explanation. And then another orb appears, and Cisco ends up in an extended conversation with the beings that live in the wormhole while Dax gets zapped back to DS9 via the orb. Cisco takes a trip down memory lane, and the aliens that live in the wormhole try and understand his linearity. They are beings who exist outside of time and just don't get how he works. They don't understand death or past or future or time. They take the place of the people in his memories and argue with him about what he is and whether his kind of life is threatening or worth saving. There's a lot here. I do not, I'm not going to attempt to summarize what happens in this. Like it's like a full half of the back half of this episode. It's like 30% of the goddamn episode, but suffice to say, Cisco tries to explain what, mortal life is like and why it's worthwhile and the various people in his life make vague space alieny comments to him while he's doing so while cisco's having his space chat back on ds9 kira talks the crew into moving the station to the mouth mouth of the wormhole in order to stake a claim on it for bajor and to block the cardassians before she can do that however gold ship notices what's going on and goes into the wormhole uh, and three more Cardassians show up and then want to know where Goldicott has gone. And do not believe her, it was a wormhole explanation. Kira, Bashir, Dax, and Odo, who reveals he was found in the belt and doesn't know what his species is, head into the belt to try and find Sisko. Uh, when the Cardassian ship with Goldicott goes in, the wormhole aliens take offense to all this fucking foot traffic and shut everything down. This goes poorly with the other Cardassians nearby. Uh, who, having no wormhole as proof, get testy with Kira on the station. They threaten to destroy the station, but before they can finish the job, the wormhole reopens with Cisco towing Goldicott's ship. The wormhole aliens stabilize the wormhole and allow anyone to travel through it. I guess they, like, go somewhere else. It's not real clear what happened in there. Um, owing to their conversation with Cisco, I guess he negotiated a deal. The return of the Enterprise also scares off the Cardassians for now. Uh, it's also not clear how the Cardassians can't just come back as soon as the, the Enterprise leaves again. But again, we'll cover that later, I assume. Uh, the whole thing sets up Bajor to be a major strategic and commercial hub, as Picard helpfully points out. Cisco offers him a handshake, presumably a mild detente, and the episode ends on Quark grossly hitting on Kira. <laughs> as so many episodes do. Well, <laughs> Um, I feel like I was remarkably restrained with that summary. No, yeah, yeah you, considering it's two episodes. Yeah, no, this was a two-parter. This was th- that was expected. I yeah, I just love all of your commentary on like the stuff that doesn't make sense yet because you're absolutely right; it doesn't make sense at this point. And yet, like Justin and I are here being like, oh, all of these things. They, I'm yeah. okay. In order of importance, the things that make no sense to me, it's not an orb. It's a chalice. It's not an <laughs> orb. They call it so many things except what it actually is. There's nothing orb-like about it. My no prize for this is that it's a universal translator thing. Like how 
the Holy Grail, like what we now now call the Holy Grail, has been like a bunch of different things across history. That's my that's my no prize that never gets. They never explain why they call it an orb. I hate yeah. that so much. I just choose to believe that it's shitty translation. But Dax calls it an orb, and Cisco calls it an orb, and it's like it's not an orb. I mean, it it's... must be that the I mean, like the Bajorans must have some sort of Bajoran word for it that like the Universal Translator has somehow decided means also orb. orb. Oh, oh, it's and it's also so you can ponder your orb. Okay, right. That is the yes. best explanation I have gotten so far, Justin. Pondering um, or pondering. God, I okay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like they they do call it like the tears of the prophets, which I think is like it's not tear shaped either. Works, but, but yes, like, I'll allow that one. I also really love the part. This is uh, the whole like how does the wormhole stuff go down makes no sense to me, but I presume that will be explained later. Maybe I don't remember it from TNG, but like it's wild to me how this episode comes out of the out of the gate swinging with like oh yeah, Cisco's like a space Jesus and the Bajorans have this like <laughs> super like intense religion. And they're not like backwards pre prime directive savages who are the ones that usually have intense religions. Like they really, yeah, no, I can't um, remember anywhere yeah, in TNG where like a legitimate species had actual religious beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then like, like we talked about this a bunch when we were, um, when we were doing, uh, Babylon 5 but yeah like Star Trek has kind of a an odd relationship with religion and mm. the Bajorans are pretty much the only species who we see who are you know, major species who are very religious like we see later on the Romulans get it a little bit and the Klingons get it a little bit later but the Klingons have like a non they have like a belief system that is not religious they have like a I, mythology it, they have a religion the yeah, way that a, we yeah. imagine the ancient Greeks did Mm, like the, I think the big differentiator is like Klingons don't have gods. Yeah, they have, or the gods do not factor into worship. They have like hero um, myths, but they have a very yeah. They, have, they they killed all their gods. Yes, that will be a thing. They killed all their gods. Um, <laughs> That's the most Klingon thing ever. Yeah, no, and, but right? it's like the Klingons have hell. They have heaven. Yeah, um, and um, like they, have, it's basically Valhalla in the fields of the dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, it, like they have a very like it's the Klingons and the Bajorans who have like very laid out belief systems that I mean they're very different from each other. Late, latter day Trek, the the, thing, Rom, was, the Romulans get the, it too. Like the, in yeah. Picard, we see a lot of religious beliefs held by. In Discovery, we see the the Romulans having b religious beliefs as well. <laughs> anyway, the the interest the inter interesting thing with the Bajorans. Is that the ear stuff? <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, I mean, the interesting thing with their with their religion is that they're they are in fact worshiping something that's real and exists. Yeah, the 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 religion is a like it's a good like I like it when it's when it is front and center and can be explored. Um, sadly, it's not as much as we I, I'd probably like in the in the series mm -hmm. because they found it very early on that Bajoran religious stuff didn't rate didn't do well in ratings. <laughs> um, yeah, which is sad for me, but okay. But it, like, it does have it does like it's always there, and it's like at least always like it is a part of life. It's a part of life, even if it isn't like something that's always like deeply introspective mm -hmm. in the show. Mm -hmm. Um. Other stuff that I thought was 
really fun about this episode. Um, I love where Cisco refers to the the ancient Ferengi tradition of plea bargaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. That was very good. I remember watching this show and thinking the most notable thing about Cisco was like the the way he like his particular like vocal style, the way he could be like super serious mm-hmm. and stentorian, but then also like hit the Michael Jackson like dec- exclamations at various times, which is not like a particularly nuanced yeah. thing to notice, but I was 12 at the time, so fucking give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> but what I notice about him now is his fucking dad energy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, not just with Jake either. Like, he is full on deploying dad energy on Kira in their first meeting. Yeah. And I, as now I am a dad, I connect with that so strong. Like, his whole, every scene he has with Jake where he's like kind of ribbing Jake a little bit when they first get to their quarters, I'm just like, yes. I, yes, I appreciate this. And what a what a bold move for the show to bring Jake yeah. on, yeah. right? After the like going down in flames disaster that was Wesley Crusher. Yeah. yeah. I think over the long run, the thing that the show does right, and it's it's a lesson they learned from Wesley, is that I mean, Jake is like the fr- is sort of like the first character who like doesn't want to be in Starfleet. Like we'll get into yeah. this later on the series, but like he has a, like he's a main character who is a human who is allowed to have a life that doesn't really revolve around Starfleet. Yeah. And and he's like he's allowed to be human yeah. too in a way that Wesley never was. Like Wesley is always defined by being a prodigy. Um and that's not the case for Jake. I mean, yeah. you know, Jake's you know, bright, etc. But he's not—he's yeah. not pigeonholed into that the way that. Um, the way I'm that excited to was. see that because I don't remember anything about Jake except for thinking that his wardrobing choices were particularly bright. <laughs> Avery Brooks does like immediately like the first thing you really get from Cisco is that warm paternal energy, um, and. Like, you know, trying to convince Jake it's going to, you know, it's like moving sucks, sure. But, you know, whatever, it's a new adventure. We're going to tackle it together. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a real single dad He's thing. He's got great, yeah, he has yeah. real good dad energy. Uh, and like I said, I like that it's not just with Jake. Like, <laughs> he has it, like, he, he's got it with Kira. And just in general, he has he has great energy. I, I like him as a character immediately. I think he I think one of the things that sort of sets him out is even like from like this episode is that he's like relatively blue collar compared to most captains, like I mean, especially yeah. compared to like Picard. Yeah. Because yeah, Picard comes from like the the family who you know, make wine on their estate. Yeah. Um but we but like we learn that like Cisco's job in the three years between Wolf Three Five Nine and DS Nine is that he was working in the shipyards. Yeah, um, is that like we'll, we'll find out what he was doing later in the show, um, but like he was somebody who was like he was working in like he was an engineer, um, which is an interesting like little like thing of just like oh yeah he's like uh, like he's working in the shipyards designing and making new ships, and the other thing that I think like really that was a really good choice is the change of uniforms. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because in DS, it, like the, the next generation uniforms where you have like the, the spandex compared to um, the DS9 uniforms, which are like their work jumpsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about just how ballsy a choice it was yeah. to have uh, to introduce Cisco with him going off on St. Picard? I, yeah, in like yeah. the first, I mean, it, it was in like the first seven minutes of the episode. Uh, I, yeah, it's, or it's like, it's like he, like he, he, like he initially gets summoned like in the first 10 minutes, but like it's like 20 or 30 minutes into the episode when they yeah. meet. And he, yeah, he blows yeah. off Picard first. And when they do meet, like I'm, I was not being hyperbolic in this in the summary. He literally opens with, "I haven't, you know, we meet again. Last time I saw you was at Wolf Three Five Nine when you fucked up my ship." And yeah. Picard, I yeah. sent you guys like the screen grab of Picard's face as he's as uh fucking Cisco is just absolutely dumping this on him and it's just it really was a bold choice to say this is yeah. a different kind of show yeah and it's 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 very interesting examining wolf 359 from you know another angle too because you know aboard the aboard the enterprise um we had wolf 359 and then picard got deborged and went home to you know wrestle with his brother in the grape fields and then came back and everything was normal. Yeah. For the rest of the show. Yeah. Like unless an episode was specifically going to mention Locutus, we never mentioned it again. Yep. And like to have to have like showing the repercussions of like like Wolf 359 fucked the Federation so hard. And to like see the repercussions of that and like somebody who survived the battle. Um, is really, really, yeah, you know, very ballsy because, like, I mean, I'm I'm not kidding when I say Saint Picard. Like, I love Picard as yeah. a character, but he, but like in the eyes of fandom, then and now, Picard can do no yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um. I mean, so shout out to Zathras uh, for for voicing the phenomenon here, which is, um, if you listen to our other uh, show, the Complete Discography, there is a character who I would say is. Maybe one of the most Terry Pratchett XBs in Discworld, which is a character named Commander Samuel Vines, who in books that Vines is the main character, he is the protagonist, he is on the side of the law, he is, you know, trying to do the right thing, he has a righteous anger about him. In books where you encounter Sam Vimes, where he is not the main character, he is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... And I think to a lesser extent here, Picard is like when you are when you are removed from the next generation viewpoint, like Picard comes off as a bit of a sanctimonious ass. Yeah. He tells he tells Cisco that his job is to help prepare the Bajorans for assimilation. That is basically <laughs> what he's doing there. He's like, your job is to short of the prime directive help them get to the like help them get ready for federation membership not help them recover their help them recover their way of life help them rebuild it is help get them to a point where they can become part of the federation yeah um yeah which i think is it's a it, it is a goal that will not ver- that will waver because i think 
once the wormhole is here, and we're going to see this throughout like the first two seasons, especially of how Bajor is rebuilding after being I mean, victims of genocide. That's what mm-hmm. the, like the the the, the Bajorans all have survived genocide and occupying force is that learning that it's like no the like before we even think about like you know joining the federation it is what does bajor need to become like its own people again and be and recover yeah even part of even part of what it is that train of thought is also front and center in this episode even Mm -hmm. with kira's response to the federation being there yeah yeah I love Kira so much right off the bat. So I, I'm going to, I know we weren't going to do this, but I, I cannot help but feel like Kira is got such good in the best. I, and I say this in the, in the fondest way, she has got such good Jakar vibes right off the bat. <laughs> I, that, that wasn't the character who I thought you were going to say, but okay, I'm, I'm into this. Yeah. Yeah. She is furious and charismatic and is uninterested in anything except the success of her people you know what? you're right yeah God damn. Like, that's uh, wow. I, I i thought you were gonna say like ivanova and it's no, like, no, no, uh, no, like no. superficially yes but jakar is such a much like it's such a much more yeah. interesting comparison yeah, no she's that. like that was my immediate thought with her uh especially when she was in that in the office like screaming at at um, some you know a member of her own people and then like flipping the bird to to Cisco and saying like we don't need you we we just got rid of the Cardassians we're you know we're trying to rebuild ourselves the parallels there to me are super strong of you know we just got rid of one space empire and we invited another in our doorstep yeah uh but uh, yeah i i really li- and so i don't know how much I like Kira as much as I like that she reminds me of Jakar. We'll see as more episodes go by. But I really liked her in this episode uh, just because she is completely uninterested in impressing the Federation. And she's just she's competent and no bullshit. And she looked like she was about to break fucking Quark's handoff at the elbow uh, in that last scene, which I appreciate. All I all I can say at this point is I hope she gets laid half as much as as Jakar did and that will make me really appreciate Kira. Uh, she ha- I think to to like not go into it she has the most love interest she has like what some of the mo- like I think like the most prominent love interests in the show. They all have one fundamental problem uh, which is that they're all dudes and she's clearly a lesbian. Um yeah, we we will get into this once <laughs> once romance option number 1 is introduced but Karen Norris dates men who are you remember that Simpsons joke about uh like Lisa has the magazine of non-threatening boys? Yeah. Yeah, that is Kira's taste in men. Um, that is shocking. <laughs> um it's yeah, no, like 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 there's a couple like there's a couple of them and Okay. Can we can we pivot to the other charismatic female? Fuck yes, yes. Yeah. Uh I love that my notes about Jadzia are really just DS9 says trans rights. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that this I, show is made in 1993 and it is completely not controversial at all that Dax was Curzon. Now Dax is Jadzia. Yeah. And 
Cisco's like, okay. And he like sort of teasingly calls her old man, but that's like, it's very, it's very much like an acknowledgement of their shared history and not at all like, you know, she's clearly uh, in on that joke, but that's yeah. the closest yeah. it gets to being awkward or it's not even yeah. awkward. That's the closest it comes to even acknowledging there being anything, any, you know, problem or anything related to to her yeah. former, her being a man in the past. And yeah. I've seen enough fucking gifts on the internet to know that this is consistent with how the show treats the situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think like, I mean, this was like, like, this is not like even a modern revelation. There were, there was like queer magazines in the nineties that called that called Gen Z like a trans icon. Um, yeah, it was it was like I I really love her. She is like the the Trill are one of my favorite Star Trek species. Um, I um, I recently Jude, you can't read it yet because it takes place like mid season four. But um, Alex White did a book called Revenant, which is a Jadzia focused DS Nine novel. Nice. Uh, it came out last year. It's fantastic. Um, like it is it's about like it's one of those things where um like i believe alex white is like is like alex white is queer i i can't remember their exact specific specifics but it's like it's one of those books that doesn't go in a, a, like a ton into specific queer stuff but it feels really queer <laughs> as you're reading it it's got good <laughs> it's got great vibes and it's a fun it's a fun quick read there's there's another um Trek book that I read a long time ago and need to reread. Um, it's called The Lives of Dax. I read that um, one too. Oh, fantastic. Um, it's like got a short story from each host of Dax, right? Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it includes it it includes uh no, we we got I gotta hold off of that joke. I gotta hold off of that joke. Oh, oh shit. It's the trials and tri- the, the trials and tribulations uh reveal. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, Dax is Dax is great. Um, I really, I I loved Dax like very very gently tolerating Bashir's flirting, while Cisco is just <laughs> like, oh fuck, oh god, please let it end. Like, I, and then uh, just just smile, oh, just Bashir. smiling at him. Oh yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Bashir because. Oh, because oh, Bashir. So, season one Bashir is the most insufferable motherfucker on this planet, which I have to praise. Like uh, Alexander Sadig, who is just like he, like the the stated intent of the writers was we wanted to have a character who was a little bit of a dumbass. Like he's a smart dumbass. We wanted to tear him back. We wanted to tear him down so we could have him grow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so he is just insufferable. Like I, like he is honestly just infuriating at points during the first season, and I kind of love it because it's like right. he, he is he's a twenty something med like he he just got out of med school. Um, they and he, yeah they sell it in that first episode where he's like can't wait to get out into the fucking boonies and treat some fucking savages white man's burden like it's so <laughs> bad and so, i know i know that he is not is actually so a white now. man he's actually like yeah. middle eastern but 
it is very funny to me that that is very much the vibe that he is putting out in this episode. Yeah. yeah. And the frontier, frontier medicine. medicine. Oh, and yeah. in the background, Kira is just like slapping a pipe into her palm, like, keep talking, motherfucker. <laughs> I, God, that scene, I laughed so <laughs> that's, that's what... hard because he just keeps talking. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, Kira's so in the background, just like I cannot believe you are still fucking talking, dude. And he just compounds, just <laughs> the foot, then the leg, then the knee, just keeps stuffing it down there. Like he he oh is my God. throating his entire thigh by the time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, by the time he's done talking. Um, so fun fact, uh, I was interested original like originally auditioned for Cisco. Wow. And, Fascinating. and originally he was like there were like over 900 people that they went over for cisco oh uh, wow. like that that auditioned and like apparently sadig like got pretty far along before they like ruled him out because of age mm-hmm. but yeah. he's a fantastic he actor oh yeah and he like and i i think like it really speaks to how good he is of like how like he can go from in season one, completely insufferable to, I mean, by the end of the series, like, he is one of my favorite characters, and the friendship and the, like, the dynamic he has with Miles is one of my favorite relationships in television. Absolutely. Which, yeah, I'm, yeah. It, it's something that I'm super hyped for, and, uh, Gosh, yeah. No, it's just like, yeah, I love the writers just like, yeah, no, we wanted to bring him, we wanted to just tear this guy down. Um, And speaking of Miles O'Brien, he gets one of his, he gets his first long-term enemy in this series, in the the pilot. The station? Which is the fucking station computer. (laughs) I, I didn't mention it in the summary, but I actually really loved the little scene between Picard and O'Brien in the transporter room. Yeah. It's a nice yeah. little scene. It's re- it's completely unimportant. Like it doesn't do anything for the plot of the, the show except to show that like Miles for all he is not like central crew to the enterprise mm-hmm. is still somebody that was important to Picard. I mean, he was the transporter chief. That's you know, that's yeah. not an insignificant no, position. No, but he wasn't like on the enterprise, crew. but yeah. But he was still somebody yeah. Yeah. that that Picard knew by name and was trusted and that his leaving is, is, you know, something that Picard feels. And I just thought it was a really nice scene. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just thought it was a nice scene, <laughs> especially like interposed between like O'Brien just being just so weary from the moment he touches the station with like, <laughs> Every part of it. And actually, on that note, Justin, do you think we can call this like an honorary O'Brien must suffer episode? No, no. O'Bri- like O'Brien isn't suffering in this episode. He's just in his element. <laughs> um, like, like we have. I mean, so- he is he is trying to get the computer to do things. I love I, mean, I love the it, way he yells, which at- is which is a highlight of the which is a highlight of many O'Brien must. I suffers. love that he yells. He's arguing at the computer, or arguing with the computer. He like he kicks it. He yells at it. Um, 
It's very good. This reminded me so intensely of doing like IT in the 90s. I feel like they had to have had somebody on staff that had that had worked in a, in a server room because like the vibe was so intensely like n- like back room mechanic IT staff that it was just like mm-hmm. it was great. I really mean it's it's like they they established throughout the series that and it was never it was something that was sort of hinted at next generation but Miles is a non-commissioned officer which is like he is he is yeah. chief petty officer Miles O'Brien which is i i think is a great thing because it's like it means that he like actually never like pretty much all of his crew throughout the series are Bajoran militia yeah um, yeah and it's like and it's like there isn't like any like it's not like there's a warp core that ever needs fixing on DS9. It's it's maintenance work. And I, I it's something that I really like. It's like, yeah, it's it's all like they're never building anything new. It's oh shit. Uh, you know, airlocks are malfunctioning again. Okay, we gotta rip this shit out because we've jury rigged three different species technologies together. Mm-hmm. Um which you know, it's like, and we have we have a we have an HDMI port that's somehow going into a USB C port. I, yeah. I you know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, it's great. Yeah, no, I really love O'Brien, and I'm looking forward to more more O'Brien stuff. Um, with all this discussion, with all this discussion of characters, um, I I keep thinking about how like I feel like this is, if not the strongest pilot of any Star Trek show, it's certainly in like the top two or three yeah i was gonna say Uh, i don't think i mean it beats the holy pants off of fucking tngs uh and voyager and and voyager uh discovery's pilot's a pretty stinker episode i think strange new worlds one is pretty good but it's like i think it's also pretty forgettable if you're like the problem with strange new worlds is it it's very dependent on uh, outside knowledge. Like a lot of the, the the weight of Strange New Worlds for pilot, it depends on discovery. Yeah, it's a, it depends mm-hmm. on a thing that happened in Discovery in season two, and it's just like yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have as much impact. Like don't get, I mean, I you know I fucking love Strange New Worlds, uh, but it doesn't stand alone as good as as well as this episode does. I. I can't think of another Star Trek show that has a pilot that is just as as a pilot that introduces the show and the characters yeah to mm. to the people watching it works on all levels whereas like I think Strange New Worlds which for me personally is the closest runner up there is yeah. it doesn't do as good of a job as of like introducing that it's too dependent on that outside stuff whereas this one is dependent on the knowledge of wolf 359 but you get everything you need to know picard was a bore he blew up the ship you know everything you need to know whereas strange new worlds like you you know almost nothing about what's going on there i think one of the things that makes this such a strong pilot is not necessarily like the amount of knowledge you need going in but how good a job it does as at introducing every single one of the characters on the ensemble cast, mm-hmm. because that's that's I think where a lot of the like Trek pilots fall down is that they don't recognize that the purpose of a pilot on an ensemble cast show, which is what Star Trek is yeah. ultimately in many ways, you have to introduce the characters and lay the basic framework for the relationships between them. Yeah. 
Like you, you know, your your recounting of the plot, Jude. Like a lot of it is kind of goofy and doesn't make a ton of sense. But the but like all of the characters are there. Yeah, and introduced as their fundamental selves, at least for the first season. Um, mm-hmm. and I like all the characters, all yeah. of the principal characters in the show that they introduce. I'm interested in. Uh, I would say yeah. the only possible question mark there is, um. Uh, the wet fascist the only thing i like the only thing that like odo really irritated like i just remember as i was watching it just thinking like this everything about odo's character bothers me a little bit <laughs> except for the fact that he was completely tepid on cisco until cisco strong-armed uh court and then immediately he was yeah. like, I'm on board. I'm fine with Cisco. Cisco has won my loyalty by abusing the Ferengi. And I'm just like, well, you, you uh, And there you. we go. The characters introduced. I, right, Justin? I, I really, yeah. I mean, Odo, Odo is a character who I think my opinion of Odo varies on the episode that he's in. Because he, ex- like, he exists as a very, like, Odo and how he views the world is a very uncritical idea of how uh, a str- of like how law enforcement can act. The only thing is he doesn't have a gun and doesn't believe in killing. He believes in the force of law. He believes in like he believes in his own justice. He doesn't believe in civil rights really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I I'm willing to bet he doesn't particularly believe in uh search and seizure laws. Oh, yeah. Being um, as he's yeah. a, a, a slime man that can like crawl into people's pr- private spaces. Um, one thing that I like uh, to speak about, like the cast, it is astounding how many series regulars of guests of like guest stars would be, are in the pilot. Um, more. Um, uh, I I uh I know which alien you're referring to. Is he's the potato looking one, right, at the bar? Yeah, he's like the gray yes. potato one who's who sits at the bar. So he is here. Uh Max Grodenchik, who like he's just a Ferengi he's like the Ferengi Dabo spinner in this episode, but he is pl- he he plays uh Quark's brother Rob. He will he will have a major like he will have a major role and I think is one of the best characters in this series, is here as a background character like and nog will be uh i i think another of those like is a character that has a great arc the one that i always forget is in this episode he's not playing he doesn't play the same role but jg hertzler who will go on to become a major role in this series later on plays the captain of the saratoga the vulcan captain in at wolf 359 is jg hertzler who um, will play Martok, who is an important Klingon. <laughs> Fantastic! I I forgot that. Yeah, no, he, he, I forget it every time, and every time I yeah. see it, it like smacks me in the face. Um, which is cool. He didn't even. Um, he really hadn't like Hertzler hadn't been planning to like. He wasn't interested in like really doing television, or he hadn't been planning on it. But he basically got a call from Patrick Stewart because they had done a, a Shakespeare workshop over some summers. And like he, they, they, and he just asked, like, hey, do you want to come on Star Trek? 
had to go pilot. Um, and that amazing. And that's basically how he got involved with Star Trek. And I think is will become uh, like, you know, we won't see him again for a couple seasons, but is what is another big character. I, and I, I think that's one thing about DS9 that really sets it apart from a lot of other Star Trek shows is how many side characters are important. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. And next episode, we'll introduce um, one of the one of the other very important side characters. So, listeners, you have that to look forward to. <laughs> I'm like clawing at my face. I can't wait. We're this. gonna have to include that interview as a part of the uh, uh, discussion of that episode. Gosh, yeah. There's a few other little bits and bobs to talk about mm-hmm. for this one. I'm looking forward to the baseball in this show. Just, I love the fact that you see the baseball like while well, well, he's put while well, checking on Jake while he sleeps. Yeah, I my first reaction to seeing the baseball was uh, wondering how many rants I'm going to hear from Anna about baseball. Oh, zero because because see, Star Trek doesn't try to explain gravity other than we have magic that gives us gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this almost qualifies as a rant. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I see. See, my problems, my problems with uh, with Babylon Five and baseball and gravity is that Babylon Five attempts to explain yeah how they have gravity on their on their spaceships yeah. and stations, and Deep Space Nine f- just fi- files it away with every pretty much every other Star Trek, which is shh, don't worry about it, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> Oh, something that, like I just uh, like back on the Bajorans thing. I forgot I had a note about this. So they they say that like the uh, this is something that I really like as a world building thing, and it'll get it will get brought back up, which I really enjoy. Is that they the Bajorans say that they have like the orbs came to them over the course of ten thousand years, and that several of them were found in space, and that it is like. The Bajorans have been a spacefaring civilization, like for centuries. I, I think even millennia longer than humans were. Yeah, and then they they just got the the shit ch- busted out of them by the Cardassians. Yeah, like they were just like very chill. Yeah, like about it. The gist of it is sort of that they reach spaceflight without industrialization. Huh. And and that's actually something that we'll delve into quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Is like the early Bajorans. I look, I'm looking forward to revisiting cool. that. Yeah. Justin, I also see in your notes um, O'Brien's discussion of Bajorans. <laughs> I love that oh, yeah, line. Yeah. The, the line, sir, have you worked with any Bajoran women? And O'Brien is just having like trauma flashbacks to <laughs> Rolaren. To Rolaren. Who was supposed to be the original first officer. Oh, really? Uh, fascinating uh like like it was supposed to, like the reason that it was all set on bajor was they were going to bring back michelle forbes to have her be the first officer on ds9 uh but she but um she didn't want to sign up for a sick a six season contract oh interesting so they f- turned it into a liaison yeah. officer and we got kira instead that's fascinating yeah. uh which i think is like yeah uh the other thing that i i, I is Interesting is that we is that O'Brien also gets established as a combat veteran, mm-hmm. um, which is something that we will also delve into. Uh, but like he he references like oh the, the border wars with Cardassia, which yeah like I think that that was technically 
like technically introduced in TNG, but like only as an aside. Yeah, basically. Yeah, there, there's an episode about like the 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 demilitarized zone, huh. which yeah, um, doesn't exist yet in DS9, but will because it's like it's a thing that happens in like late TNG season six or something, or seven. Six or seven, somewhere in there. But we will, we will, we will cross that bridge when we come to it because that's going to be interesting. It's such a like it's it's like watching this and like having an idea of like what's coming is it's a really good idea of just like rather like even if not all of it is intentional, but there's like they made great use of the material. It's like a good session zero of an RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everything is here and it's like it's flush with ideas that are ready to explore. Yeah, it's like everybody everybody has their like one or two key, key attributes about themselves and then like one or two key relationships with other characters established. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we've got the start of like filling out the net of relationships between the characters. Yeah. I think that's a, a thing that like modern television modern criticism of television has made like people feel is like a problem is oh like they didn't plan this from the start back in season one it's like that's fine you don't have to pre-plan every detail of a show before you sit down and make it like it's fine to grow the world building as you create something that's not like a yeah. sign of inferior fucking writing to discover yeah. as you go, what this thing is going to be like, don't get me wrong. I think it's dope to have yeah. world building in place and story ideas in place. But um, I just, you just, you just need like self consistency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you should just make everything up on the spot, but like, I don't think it's a, a <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it's a sin to have uh created, you know, to, to, to create stuff as you're building as opposed to have everything planned out 100% on the spot, which is definitely a yeah. thing that, like, a lot of modern television criticism seems to, like, act like for some reason. I don't know. I I call it Wiki- I call it Wikipedia syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Where, where it's, like, where it feels like that, like, at least from, like, a viewership perspective, it's, like, the only things that matter are what do we, what, what do we know now? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, I also noted uh, a sort of a final note here that the two runabouts are both are named the Yangtze King and the Rio Grande, and they are both rivers. And apparently, all of the runabouts are named after rivers. Yes, yep. it is the Danube class of runabout. How about that? Um, I cannot wait to start a running count of how many of these things get blown up. <laughs> Also, also, I'd like to point out, uh, Jude, that the runabouts are a very interesting class of ship because they're beefier than like the TNG shuttles, mm-hmm. that they're the sort of like, you know, they're the SUV to the shuttles. They're the RV. Yeah. To the shuttles SUV. Okay. They have rudimentary, like rudimentary quarter type stuff on them, like very, very rudimentary. Yeah. But like they're they're a beefier ship than the standard shuttle is. Uh, Don't answer this question, but I am very curious to see if the Federation or Bajor or anyone is going to make an attempt to like arm this station, which is now like a critical, a critically important (laughs) trading slash, uh, 
you know, hub of commerce and trade and other stuff that the Federation ostensibly gives a shit about since there's like this pathway to the Gamma Quadrant right there. And if they're ever going to do anything other than, like, presumably, I know there is a war in the future. Y'all, I just, I know there's I, I just a war in the to future. Know because this is a vi- visual, like, this is not a visual medium that I laugh so hard that my tongue just, like, started, like, lagging out of my mouth. Um, I know there's a war in the future. So presumably they will do something about this by the time there is a war. But between now and then, the fact that they're laughing when I say that is not a good sign. But between now and then, like, are they just going to sit there and let the Cardassians roll up and then have to fucking, like, improvise every time the Cardassians feel tetchy? I don't... It feels like a bad plan, but... I don't know. I'm very curious to see. Since when is the Federation been good at plans, Jude? What's that? Since when is the Federation good at plans? I mean... Oh, I can't wait to talk about how badly Starfleet runs this ship. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, I can't wait <laughs> for this episode as you just keep going on. This time we're just <laughs> losing our shit. I think that us devolving into, like, bizarre laughter is a good place to cut the episode. Yeah, I don't think, I feel like that's, um, that's a good place to end it right there. <laughs> so, um, welcome to Pod Space Nine. Um, I hope you enjoyed the pilot. We, I I think we've established the tone that the series is going to have. Yeah. Um, so next time for our second episode, we're gonna we're gonna get to we're gonna get to live in the station a little bit. We're gonna meet some new people. So we're gonna be covering episodes two and three of season one, "A Man Alone," and "Past Prologue." Until next time, just, just keep circling, keep circling, just keep circling. Just keep circling. Yeah. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.